None of the content on this or any episode of the Kratom Science Podcast, Kratom Science Journal Club, or on any page of KratomScience.com is intended, nor should it be considered medical claims or medical advice. This is the Kratom Science Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Gallagher, blog and social media writer for KratomScience.com, your source for all things Kratom. Welcome to the final episode of the Kratom Science Podcast. So I started writing for Kratom Science in 2018. Uh, It's not my platform. I work for them. And I started this podcast in 2019. Um, I'm going to be no longer contributing to Kratom Science. I'm going to be starting my own platform called the Drug War Post. And it was uh, my own decision. I've been wanting to do my own platform for a while. I'll be able to expand out from the Kratom issue and kind of cover more, do a more comprehensive kind of thing about drug science and the drug war. And especially I want to focus on what the people who I talk to think about what we should do to improve things and what would a future without the uh, mess of the drug war look like and and how will we keep people who use drugs safe. It will be probably about 25% Kratom since I do have some knowledge about that that I got from this opportunity to work for Kratom Science. And I want to thank those people who run the website KratomScience.com. They gave me an opportunity to write about anything. They didn't say focus on this or focus on positive or negative or anything like that. Uh, They just let me write what I wanted. And their goal was to get accurate information out there. And it's tough with science because science changes and you learn more. So I hope I did a good job and I hope I contributed to the community on this platform. Um, But I want to expand out. And I think I can do a better job independently and hopefully be a more effective uh, communicator, interviewer, researcher, writer. And the service I want to perform, continue to perform for you, is to read all the science and read all the public policy and summarize it and interview people who do the science and do the public policy and do the substances and everybody that has a monetary stakeholder around it and the doctors that take care of the patients and people like Walt Prigelic who looked into the lead levels in Kratom and people who, the uh, forensic toxicologists who I emailed who look into postmortem toxicology report and the addiction psychiatrists, etc., etc., to get that information into easily readable and easily digestible knowledge so it'll save you time and carry it forward. And I, I think that's a pretty valuable thing to do. You know, the newspaper companies don't think it's valuable unless it's clickbait, but I disagree, and it's it's still needed for our society, whether whether it's going to pay or not. I know you don't have time to do that. Somebody needs to do that, and we used to value this thing called journalism in our society, and now journalism can't happen without some kind of goofy marketing campaign in front of it. 
and I'm going to continue doing it uh, whether I get some kind of monetary source for it or not because it's it's what society needs and it's what I can give to you. So yeah, there have been over 150 episodes if you count the uh, 40 episodes of Journal Club with Dr. John Cachet. Another shout-out to uh, Dr. John Cachet because that was a great opportunity for me to uh, sit down for 40 times and read a scientific journal article with a guy that actually knows this shit. He's He's a PhD in neuroscience, and he specifically studied psychoactive substances. And um, he did some groundbreaking research there. He also developed the Cannabis Lab Technician Program in Athens, Ohio. Anybody that wonder is wondering what you want to do with your life and you want to get a two-year pretty comprehensive associate's degree, uh, check out Hawking College. Check that out. They have a Cannabis Lab Technician Program, Cannabis Museum there. And Ohio has uh, now has legal recreational cannabis. Uh, because they're a normal state, unlike Pennsylvania. Ohio used to be, you know, we used to not like them, but I'm starting to like them more now. Yeah, so shout out to Dr. Cachet once again for doing that for me. He did that for zero dollars. And then other scientists we had, I mean, we've had pharmacologists, addiction psychiatrists, social scientists, we've had... Uh, medicinal chemist, uh, Dr. Chris McCurdy. He was one of the uh, most well-known kratom science experts. We had Dr. Abhishek Sharma from University of Florida, Dr. Lance McMahon, Oliver Grunman from uh, University of Science Malaysia. We had Dr. Darshan Singh, who's one of the uh, foremost kratom experts in the world. We had Dr. Kirsten Smith, who was at NIDA the two times that we interviewed her. She's now at Johns Hopkins. Um, So we got a NIDA scientist on the program. Uh, We got Dr. Peter Grinspoon. Uh, Dr. Mark Swagger was one of the first uh, guys that agreed to interview us. He's a psychologist, social scientist. I'm not naming all the ones we had, but such a privilege to interview all those scientists. I'm going to continue to do that on uh, my new podcast uh, once that comes out, that'll be a couple months. I gotta prepare for that, and I gotta, you know, start asking people to come on, start doing interviews, get my platform set up. But so there's gonna be more of this. It's just gonna be on a different platform. More to come, definitely, definitely. There's more people that I haven't interviewed that I would like to. It's also grateful to have great journalists on uh, Maya Solovitz, who writes for the New York Times. And has done, read any one of her books. They should be in your local library. That's Maya Solvitz. And uh, Morgan Godvin, who's an excellent journalist. We had her on. Also had uh, Ethan Nadelman, like a legendary uh, cannabis activist. Uh, We were able to get him on. He has a great podcast that uh, went for, I don't know, he probably made it up to 100 episodes called Psychoactive. So I, I just think there's a massive gap in journalism. Uh, luckily, there's been more attention paid and funding gone into the Kratom issue. But there's just a massive problem with sensationalism and journalism around the way substances are covered. But I'm going to go into a thing here. Uh, I'm going to do like a 10 points about Kratom that I would like you to be left with. Uh, you can go back and listen. I was going to do maybe like podcast clips or something, and maybe I will in the course of doing these 10 points. 
these are really the things that I want everybody to know that's important. It's important for safety, and it's important for how policymakers will shape policy. It's it's encouraging that, that so many people are saying, no, don't toss people in jail and ruin their lives because they have kratom. No serious person studying substance issues uh, thinks that criminalization of substance users is the right thing to do. So here's a list of the 10 things that I want you to take home about Kratom. Number one, and I'm going to quote the headline of a letter sent to the journal Addiction. Not all Kratom is equal. The important distinction between native leaf and extract products. This was written by a bunch of scientists that I already mentioned that we had on the podcast and a few couple others. Yes, Kratom is different. When people buy Kratom on the shelf and it's a highly concentrated extract product, it is not the same as the fresh leaf in Southeast Asia. It's not the same as the leaf powder that I have in my cupboard. These are pretty heavy alkaloid extracts. But we're calling everything Kratom like we'd be calling everything beer, whether it was beer or Everclear grain alcohol or moonshine or, you know, 150 proof uh, Jack Daniels. Had some of that on New Year's. I think it was like 134 proof. Like calling those Panera drinks that were associated with the deaths of some people. There are Panera lawsuits against Panera Bread because they have this charged lemonade that has high doses of caffeine in it. People didn't know they were getting. They didn't educate their customers. And unfortunately, a young girl, 21 years old, had a heart condition, and she had a heart attack and died. And uh, uh, another man had... a lemonade drink every day had no idea it was going to do something unhealthy to him so that's not coffee we don't say they died of coffee let's ban coffee there's differences in kratom and there's differences in caffeine there's a difference between cocaine and coca leaf tea if you want to compare it the other way people consider bad coca leaf tea has cocaine in it very trace amounts and i it, it is not a problem in the societies where it's from, and if it was here and people drank coca leaf tea, it would not be much of a problem. So, the shitty thing about it is these companies selling these highly concentrated alkaloid extract products are riding the coattails of all this talk, all these studies from Southeast Asia about Kratom, and then when... Me and a lot of people I know talk about how our Kratom use isn't problematic. We're not talking about doing tons of extracts every day, clearing out the um, inventory of a gas station to do a ton of extracts for that day. We're talking about having one or two teaspoons, or maybe if you have a very painful disease, maybe you have one or two teaspoons a few times a day. We're not talking about the same shit. And the Kratom industry benefits from just calling everything Kratom, and so do the prohibitionists. Two groups of people that I've become extremely annoyed with on either extreme. Big Kratom and prohibitionists. Now, I don't want to say big Kratom across the board, because there are very highly successful Kratom companies with guys who I think want to do the right thing, 
because they're in this for a sustainable industry. They'll have customers along the road if they do the right thing, and they want to do the right thing. Some of these companies and some of these shady actors are in this thing to make their money and get the fuck out, or make their money and die and leave it to their kids. But, I mean, they don't want to get sued either. Well, they've been selling this fucking shit for years without informing their consumers. They could sell it in a big package and have a whole whole bunch of information on it. People were picking this up. Oh, that feels better than 5-Hour Energy. This shit's cool. This Kratom. Well, it's not the same thing as what they've been doing in Southeast Asia forever. So don't take traditional use and, and apply that to you. Even gobbling tons and tons of the leaf powder. But especially the extracts. However, I think these things should be available just like whiskey should be available. And not just beer. But people have to be informed. We as a culture know how to drink coffee. We know how to drink alcohol, even though, you know, obviously not not everybody does. And they still sell it and they still advertise for it. So, I don't know. I think maybe fucking liquor stores should be a dispensary model. Maybe should have to get a card to get, go there. But I, I think these restrictions, these Band-Aids on access that um, my friend Soren Shade called them, are just the prohibitionist mindset. So people have to know. Highly concentrated alkaloid extracts, and you can say what you want, but to sell this shit as Kratom is a fucking travesty. Uh, especially this 7-hydroxy shit that's coming out. Sell it as 7-hydroxy, but, I mean, they're going to ban all of Kratom because... Number one, people who think prohibition is a good idea don't think very much about anything, I don't think. Number two, you shouldn't ask people that have been harmed by some of these products, their family members. You shouldn't have to ask them to come up with a a brilliant revolutionary drug policy. So the distinction has to be made, and you have to do that by calling out Big Kratom as well as the prohibitionists. I will say number two, be careful combining Kratom with any other drug. Illicit, prescription, dietary supplement, anything else. Be careful combining Kratom with anything else. Number one, fentanyl. The majority of Kratom deaths, fentanyl is also found. Of course, we don't have comprehensive forensic toxicology you can't do a full panel of every possible novel psychoactive substance and everything but what we do know is kratom metabolizes with a uh, certain enzymes cyp2d6 cyp3a4 and i'm probably missing another one too but there's tons of prescription medications that metabolize with this i would say just as a shorthand don't take kratom with other prescription medications. It's just one of those things. 17% of all of the, um, I think the 2021 opioid deaths, mostly they were from illicit opioids, 17% of the people also had antihistamines in their system. That said, you should take Kratom at a low dose. What can I tell you? Americans have taken more Kratom than anybody in world history has, going back to number one. Just don't take high doses of Kratom. Take very low doses of leaf powder. I know people with degenerative disc disease that take one teaspoon of Kratom a day. Please be careful with combining Kratom with other drugs. Number three, 
There's tons of fucking lead and all kinds of kratom. And I would say the lead problem is more with the powders because I think the lead gets extracted out in the extraction process, although some of these com- companies use these uh, toxic residual solvents uh, and they ship it off to China to be extracted and they ship it back in. Number Here's number three. Get your kratom tested. Now, the companies aren't going to give you a full alkaloid panel. Uh, some companies will. Um, I hope in the future everybody can do that. But at the very least, you need a piece of paper that says, here in the past like six months, we tested this product, and there's no, there's a safe amount of heavy heavy metals and a safe amount of bacteria. There's trace amounts of that stuff and everything. But in some of these kratom products, we'll go to Dr. Walpergelic. Levels of lead that over time can combine with like the other lead that you're getting in foods the, the that are under toxic amounts, the safe amounts, and that can cause a toxic event. I really think a lot of these um, liver uh, situations where they go into the doctor and they have like some kind of um, liver toxicity and they, and they stop. These are case reports and they stop taking Kratom and their liver clears up. I really think uh, there's something to do with uh, heavy metals in those situations, especially if they're only taking powder Kratom. And I'm not saying highly concentrated extracts can't cause toxicity on their own. Uh, that gets me to number four. Every alkaloid in Kratom can be deadly at a high enough dose. Let me say that again. Every alkaloid in Kratom can be deadly at a high enough dose. Everything can be deadly at a high enough dose. That doesn't downplay what Kratom can do, and it doesn't uh, increase the dangers of Kratom either. It's just a fact. It's Toxicology 101. The dose makes the poison. But really, what that means is what Paracelsus said is everything is poisonous at a high enough dose. It's not the thing but the dose that makes the poison. It's not the substance but the dose. There is a high enough dose of THC that can kill somebody. The THC, they really haven't found it yet because it's so high. I don't think they found an LD50 for THC. They might have. Unless you look into it. They have found an LD-50 for mitragyny. It's like at least like two to three times less toxic than caffeine. That means pure caffeine we know how to drink as a culture. Uh, That's why it's so safe. That's why millions of people drink it. It's not because caffeine is safer than kratom or mitragyny. It's, in fact, more toxic, according to the LD-50 studies that we've seen. But the fact is... When you're going around selling concentrated Kratom products, then that becomes more dangerous than caffeine because people are doing more of that because it feels better. So it's the dose that makes the poison. It's not... That's why attacking drugs and outlawing drugs and having certain drugs that are legal, it's all insane. I mean, it's pretty obvious when we have alcohol as a legal drug and that, that poses a problem. It doesn't, alcohol doesn't pose a problem for most people. It's not the substance, it's the dose. It's the dose of the substance. If everybody had a beer a day, I think we'd be all be fine. Everybody has a cup of coffee a day and we're all fine. You know, not everybody, but you know what I'm saying. Highly concentrated. Here's what I'm going to say. A large enough dose of kratom alkaloids can kill you. 
certainly any one of them, any alkaloid in kratom, a large enough dose can kill you. And I don't, you know, I don't even want to put that up with well, water can kill you too, but because, you know, people aren't drinking more water than they need. People are using more kratom than they need. If we're talking about leaf powder, it's going to be a lot harder. However, most people that have kratom-related deaths have kratom in their system along with other drugs. The vast majority. And there's a huge problem with coroners and everything like that for every drug. There's a big problem with with opioids and everything else about these coroners. They're not testing for everything. And they just can't, there's just not enough money to do that. They test for all the common drugs. I really think they should put phenobut and tianeptine in there. And I really think with kratom, there should be heavy metals testing uh, at the very least. But I'm saying, if you're down in extracts every fucking day, you're putting yourself at risk for toxicity and death. So that's just a fact. It's just a fact. And I'm so tired of the political argument that misinforms people. It just misinforms people. It just does. It makes everything black and white, evil and good. Every side thinks they're right and the other side's wrong. In science, you get a picture that's more complex. Science doesn't give you easy answers because there aren't easy answers in reality. Science has to rely on evidence. Scientists have to be trained. They have to know things. Politicians don't have to know shit. They have to know how to talk a little bit. So it's just unfortunate that this whole Kratom thing is lost in this political debate. Number five, Kratom can cause physical dependence and people can get addicted to Kratom. I don't like the talk about is a drug addictive because I don't think that uses the proper term for addiction which is repeated compulsive behavior despite negative consequences, despite repeated negative consequences. This is National Institutes on Drug Abuse's definition. Physical dependence is different. Physical dependence has to do with tolerance and withdrawal. A lot of people have physical dependence on medication. I have one on caffeine. I drink coffee every day, and when I quit for an extended period of time, I do get withdrawals. They're, they're very mild. Some people do have physical dependence on kratom and opioids. Addiction is different. Addiction is a psychological disorder. So to assign addiction to a substance as addictive, I think is a fallacy. It's commonly used. I'm not just doing this to defend kratom and some stupid political argument. I'm, I'm t- talking like this because these things have nuance. And if you're not prepared to consider nuance and complexity, then I don't think you're prepared to actually seriously study um, the topic of uh, psychoactive substances. Kratom clearly can cause physical dependence, and it's been measured all the way from traditional use to, you know, case reports of modern use. I think it's uh, a lot easier to get a physical dependency to a concentrated extract and then that could lead to repeated compulsive use of kratom despite negative outcomes and trying to quit which that could be classified as addiction some people can use you have used kratom every day for a long time or have taken tolerance breaks and have used kratom for years and depend on it for whatever and that's a dependency it's not the same as an addiction 
So that one's fairly cut and dry to me. There's no reason that something that causes physical dependency should be outlawed. It's That's not an argument for it. And again, I come to the difference between politicians and politics and science and people who understand reality is complex. And I also think there's a huge problem with for-profit rehabs in this country. I don't think. There just is. They'll tell people they're addicted to anything. If somebody's spouse doesn't like them drinking uh, a six-pack on the weekend and they really don't have a problem, well, a for-profit rehab is going to show up and say, yeah, you're addicted to alcohol because your wife doesn't like it. For-profit rehabs will tell you that any drug use it means addiction, and that's a huge fucking problem in this country, these for-profit rehabs. I can't believe they even fucking exist. It's, it's, it's another travesty in this whole thing. But people do develop addiction to Kratom. It's not for-profit rehabs convincing everybody. Um, I think some people have a dependency and they freak out and they go to rehab but people do have addiction to kratom that's just a fact i had addiction psychiatrists on for two different episodes uh of this podcast so you can listen to them and they can talk about it and if you have a problem with using kratom yeah get some help another thing that gets caught up in this political uh nonsense is there's people that say oh kratom's not addictive well i i think that's wrong <laughs> I, I think saying something is a substance is addictive is in general kind of wrong, but it's like colloquial talk, it's shorthand talk. But again, it's 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 a complex issue that's often met with stupid simplicity from various interests like uh, police associations that want to jail people and for-profit rehabs that uh, give money to the sheriff and... You know, also the Kratom industry that wants to tell you that you're never going to have a problem using this stuff. I I think they've gotten better at that in the past few years. I I think they should say it causes physical dependency. I don't know. Like, legally, that might be a problem. But it shouldn't be. Uh, There's sugar, caffeine. There's all kinds of shit that causes physical dependency. We have a dependency on blood pressure meds or else our blood, blood pressure will go up. Diabetics have a dependency on uh, insulin. Stop with the simplistic nonsense arguments about Kratom and anything else, because it's going to take a lot more thinking, and if you're not doing the thinking, then shut up. Number six concerns the iron law of prohibition. Outlawing Kratom makes the problem worse. These concentrated extracts in this gray market that we have now, this not regulated enough market, they're getting up to like 80% of alkaloids. That increased the risk of dose makes the poison toxicity. You know how many alkaloids are in leaf powder? 1%. Do you know how many alkaloids are in coca leaf? 1%. Have you ever bought coca leaves on the street here? Ever bought coca tea? No. It's not available. Why? Because you're not going to ship leaf material into the United States and risk getting caught on the fucking cargo ship that it takes to put it on there instead of a smaller boat that it takes to put kilos of extracted powder cocaine. Now, the same thing is going to happen to Kratom. There's not going to be a lower dose option for people. It's going to be all the higher dose extract. Since people are doing those things for 
partial opioid effect, it's going to be mixed with the fentanyl supply. There's going to be more overdoses for people who are looking to acquire kratom alkaloids. And just throwing people in jail is criminal. Prohibition is inherently racist because the people who get busted for it, if there's one, even if more white people do kratom, guess who has a better chance if one black guy and a hundred white people do Kratom in, in a small town, guess who's guess who has a better chance of getting busted for it? So yes, it's a racist policy. Prohibition is always racist. It's based on racism. It was around because of racism and as well as political issues because the hippies smoked weed, so let's crack down more on the weed. Because they're against our war, but it's been mostly enforced disproportionately against people of color. And ruining somebody's life by throwing them in jail is just going to make them have a better chance of using more drugs. People have drug problems to deal with trauma that they're not getting proper treatment for. That's one reason. It's not the only reason. So it's just horrific. It's horrific to advocate for people being thrown in jail. And the people who do that aren't just innocent little people who don't know anything better. I mean, maybe in some cases they are, but they seem to be horrific people through and through. The examples that I've seen lately. I mean, if they're going to throw somebody in jail and ruin their life for having a substance on them, then they'll they'll fucking do anything. They'll try to ruin your life for uh, having the wrong opinion. Number seven, I want you to know about the history of the FDA and Kratom. It started with the appointment of Daniel Fabricant from the Natural Products Association in 2011 to the head of the Division of Dietary Supplements. During his tenure there, Kratom got its first import alert. The Natural Products Association was an, was a pro-Kratom prohibition group up until about 2020. So all they've done so far is these import alerts, and they've been trying to get Kratom scheduled nationally. They did it in 2016. Scott Gottlieb tried again. It was defeated by a letter from Brett Giroir, who was... Director of the Health and Human Services, which is above the FDA. The FDA is a umbrella group underneath agency underneath Health and Human Services, as is NIDA. These are all in the executive branch. The president appoints the heads to some of these. But anyway, what the FDA can do is regulate Kratom. It would need a new way to regulate it, but at the very least, what it could do is enforce GMP rules on Kratom. They're in place. People who sell Kratom have to follow certain rules. And the FDA can regulate it, regulate them, and shut them down. They've sent warning letters out, um, and but they could, could have prevented some of these deaths. Um with, with just with enforcing proper lab, labeling, um, there's a woman in Florida that died um, because she had this extremely strong extract product, and she may have had some pre-existing conditions, but she took kratom very safely for a while, and then she took this extract product, and she might have taken like 20 times the dose. 
I don't know because the company never launched a defense, so we couldn't really find out any facts besides what her lawyers were saying. However, I agree with the decision of the court to award the family this money because this company was terrible. The FDA could have shut them down from distributing that product, but they're not. The one reason they're not is they do not have the resources. They haven't had the the resources to enforce the the whole dietary supplements industry. The Deshaies Act of 1994 kept dietary supplements legal, but the regulations are very lax. I mean, they're supposed to all go through good manufacturing practices, etc., but there's just no enforcement, so the enforcement's very lax. It's just not working. It's not working as a system. People die, get liver toxicities all the time from all different dietary supplements, not just Kratom. The whole industry is pretty screwed up. And, you know, it's not just Kratom. Anybody can get into that industry and start selling rice pills. Uh, if you like Chris Bell's uh, Leaf of Faith movie about Kratom, you will like... Uh, his older movie, um, Bigger, Stronger, Faster, that looks at the uh, dietary supplements industry and shows him selling. A lot of the times they sell mostly rice powder and a tiny bit of the active ingredient. So a lot of the times, thankfully, their products do nothing. We all take vitamins and stuff. Those are all useful things. So I'm glad they're, I'm glad they're not completely restricted under a uh, drug law. However, the FDA needs to do something to enforce Kratom. And and they know damn well that getting it prohibited in Schedule 2 isn't going to keep people safe. It's going to increase harm. It's going to produce harm, not reduce harm. I think the FDA is a necessary, completely necessary organization. It's made up of, I think, like something like 12,000 scientists. That's great. The government should employ scientists. Like NIDA. NIDA is a great organization full of scientists. I think in in some respects the DEA should be abolished and the FDA should get their enforcement for things like dietary supplements and, and psychoactive substances and recreational substances. So number eight is we need not only stronger regulations but a whole new category for psychoactive substances as a start to drug reform. I mean, at the very least, they can enforce the Kratom Consumer Protection Act. So 7 and 8 is kind of going together. I'm just talking about regulation here. There's certain states that allocate funds for enforcement for the Kratom Consumer Protection Act. Oregon is one. It's the same thing as the Deshaies Act. If you're going to pass the law and it's not going to get enforced, it's just as good as not having a law. I mean, almost, it's slightly better than not having a law because they can react. I think in Oklahoma... You know, in some of these states, it's just going to be a reactionary thing. If somebody gets sick on the Kratom, then the state can come in and shut down wherever they bought the Kratom. These things need to be enforced. So, at the very least, enforce the Kratom Consumer Protection Acts, um, which will, by the way, also prevent 7-hydroxymetragenine tablets from being sold because it Every Kratom Consumer Protection Act says you can't have above this amount of 7-hydroxymetragenine in the product, which is a very trace amount. I'm looking at what the Czech Republic did, and what they're doing is they passed a whole new law, and I talked to um, um, Jacob Gintala. He He's on here for a couple episodes. You can go back and 
listen to those. Kratom now falls under a category called psychomodular substance in Czech Republic. It's regulated as itself. We're not pretending it's not for consumption. Uh, we're not pretending it's a drug or dietary supplement. We're pretending it's something people freely choose for their own purposes. I think cannabis should be under that, something like that. We regulate alcohol and tobacco, so why can't we do it with all other psychoactive substances? Yeah, we need a different category for psychoactive substances. I think all drugs should be legalized, not all available at the same time. I talked to um, Dr. Steinmetz, Fabian Steinmetz, and he had a very good proposal for you know, different phases of drug legalization. I mean, stuff like regular leaf kratom, cannabis, uh, beer, maybe even poppy tea, coca tea, should all be maybe in a dispensary model or a club or something like that. And then maybe even alcohol should be in a um, alcohol, kratom extracts, cocaine, uh, maybe opium, that's the next category, should be bought from somebody who has training, at the very least, uh, maybe like a pharmacist. However, maybe it won't requir- require a doctor's prescription. And then, of course, things like fentanyl and and um, maybe even heroin and, and maybe even methamphetamine, uh, they could be prescribed. Uh, maybe there's certain things that should be prescription only. So, again, we have to look at these things in terms of complexity. We know people are going to continue to do drugs. It's so stupid to think otherwise, to think prohibition is going to keep people from doing drugs. On the whole, that just doesn't work. And it and it just harms people. I mean, example after example, we've lived with the history our whole lives, uh, if you're an American especially. We've never not had a drug problem in my lifetime with some drug or another. And it and it seems to all center around pretending like we can banish things, like it's a magical decree that we can declare, this is banned and it'll go away. It's not going to go away. Kratom's here to stay. So we have to deal with it and keep people safe and be honest about it as well. I, I The pro-legality activists has to be, have to be... I'm more worried about you guys being honest than I am. I mean, we know prohibitionists aren't going to be honest. I mean, some of them are just ignorant, but a lot of them are literally... Human suffering is their currency, and they profit from sending people to jail for drugs. They're, they're just not on your side as a human being. <laughs> so... And I don't mean, like, some people who think prohibition is a good thing and they just haven't thought about it. Think I'm talking about people who actively profit from it. For-profit rehabs and, you know, whoever's in the drug court pipeline. And some of the police think it justifies funding if they can arrest more people. It's just human suffering is their currency. All right, let's go on to number nine. Number nine is drug development is good and it doesn't mean prohibition for Kratom. Regular pharmaceuticals that go through the whole process should be developed from some of these alkaloids, and I think uh, it'll be revolutionary in terms of uh, the treatment of pain. I hope it will be, because I think mytragenine just is shown to be 
you know, less risky than opioid pain medication. Although opioids are way less risky than they are depicted to be. Only 1% of people get addicted who are prescribed opioids. I mean, a ton of people were prescribed them in the in the 2010s, you know, and in, in the 2000s. That's not that's not going on anymore. People patients are having trouble getting pain treatment, and that's why so many people have turned to kratom. As long as opioids are administered by a doctor, they're fine. I know people get addicted to prescription pills, but a lot of them have gone through like pain management, and they're fired from pain management. It's very punitive. Uh, stigmatizing type of thing that a lot of people go through. If we take away that punitive bullshit around it, I think people have better outcomes treating chronic pain with opioids, regular opioids. By the way, if if you want to call Kratom an opioid or not an opioid, I would say the answer is more it is an opioid. A typical opioid, but opioid. Because it acts on opioid receptors. However, it's not an opiate. It's not from the opium poppy. I don't even want to put that in a whole category because it's it's one of those things that's complex. It's not either or. Politically, people don't want to call it an opioid because they think something's wrong with opioids, and that's untrue. Nothing's wrong with opioids. Attacking the drug is just not the answer. I don't think pill mills are the answer. They were sold by nefarious uh, people with medical degrees to, you know, people that, that fed an addiction and... People who aren't getting many mental health care, you know, if we increase mental health care in this country and had an actual fucking modern health care system, modern health care system funding, we do have modern, we have the best health care in the world if you can get it. But people need preventative care. If somebody starts to develop a, a drug problem, they need to be able to come out and say, hey, I'm starting to develop a drug problem. Can I get help? Just like anybody with an alcohol problem could. But anyway, here's number nine. Drug development. Prohibition happens. They won't be able to develop a drug. It'll be a lot harder to develop a drug. Maybe the big pharma companies want this. Again, there's more evidence big dietary supplements have have had to do with Kratom prohibition than big pharma. I don't think they care. I don't think big pharma cares about Kratom. I don't think it's a threat to most of them. I think Gottlieb was their sole kind of warrior for that. Scott Gottlieb, Pfizer's own. But it's it's funny. It's just like you got to watch the people that go through the revolving door between dietary supplements and FDA and pharma and FDA. But the people at FDA as well, I think they're watching the scientists there anyway. They're probably interested in Kratom if, if any of them even spend time thinking about it. It's just the politics Political people, they don't have to rely on the truth. But developing a drug, a pharmaceutical drug from Kratom, does not mean Kratom's going to automatically be illegal. I mean, there's people that want it illegal for various reasons, and they have to all be watched and opposed and, you know, exposed and whatever. But I don't think the people developing drugs want you to stop having access to Kratom powder. I don't know. I haven't heard from any. I haven't seen any evidence that any anyone um, that's in drug development wants people to not have access to kratom powder or kratom leaf. There's foxgloves. They were developed into a heart medication. They still grow in my yard. Epidiolex is made from hemp, and that's federally legal everywhere. Hemp is federally legal. 
2018, Epidiolex was approved by the FDA as a drug. All that is is CBD. It's all it is is pure CBD. Also in 2018, the Farm Bill was passed that federally legalized hemp. So it kind of blows that theory out of the water that if something becomes is developed into a drug, then it makes the plant illegal. 25% of all new drugs being developed are from plants. And I... Th- I I don't know what the total amount of drugs from plants, probably most of them, everything would be illegal if uh, something became a drug and um, they outlawed the plant. Number 10, everybody in the Kratom world is out of their minds, (laughs) including me. Let's just say there's a lot of trauma. And so if you're just getting into this stuff, you're going to see it. It's insane. There is a book here. There's There's another documentary here. And here's why. And everybody's crazy for different reasons. Let's start with the people who benefit from Kratom and want to keep it legal. They are in fear that they'll become criminals. Number one, if they won't become criminals, they'll go back into addiction to to opioids or other things that weren't working for them. And they'll just go back to the suffering they had before they discovered Kratom. I mean, I talked to so many of these people, and there's so many people that that's why they're angry when you say, oh, we're going to throw you in jail if you use Kratom or if you possess Kratom. Who the fuck? How is that not a rational response to get angry at that? So, like, fuck you if you judge them for that, which brings me to you, prohibitionists who are either prohibitionists because of grief which is also understandable. And then there's people who, like I said, human suffering is their currency. The people who profit from prohibition. And then there's also greedy people in the big kratom world that are just in this for the profits. They want as little regulations as possible. They want to make it look like the regulations are doing more than they're doing. And they want to take the fucking big bag money and get the hell out. They don't care about the community. It's so hard for legality activists to see these people because they're sucking millions and millions of dollars out of the Kratom community for their own personal gain. And it's disgusting. And they're insane, too. They're insane with greed. I I feel sorry for them the most because I don't think there's a cure for what they're into. For the rest of us, it would be sensible policy, you know, except for the prohibitionists for profit. Those types of people and the greedy... Big Kratom people are the two people that are just unforgivable. I can't have any empathy with the greedy people who either want to throw people in jail for Kratom or are just sucking millions of dollars out of this community. The scientists are the only people who I don't think are fucking out of their minds in this world. (laughs) And that's why I began to interview them. I mean, everybody I interview on here actually is also cool. They're not any more crazy than I am. I'm fucking crazy, too. I'm going to keep doing what I do to make sense of it at this platform that I'm calling the Drug War Post. And so you can follow me there, at Drug War Post, just on Twitter for now. The things I do are for people that like to listen and think. And, you know, don't necessarily have time to do all the research and the science and stuff like that. So... I can't, like, people like to react before they think, and I just can't relate to that anymore, and I just don't care about those people anymore. So if you're a thinker, the stuff I'm going to do going ahead and the 
stuff I did for Kratom Science is for you. I think most people are like this. It's just the loudest voices are these political people. We like to listen and think before we speak. That's it. We're adults. And just the whole culture rewards grown babies. So despite all those people that seem to drown us out, not just in the Kratom world, but in every aspect of our culture, we're going to put our head down and do the work. That's what I told myself years ago. I stuck my head up for a little bit and, uh, you know, got some pot shots fired at me by various people who are fast and loose with defamation. But from now on, I'm going to keep my head down and do the work because it's those people that make the world a better place. The journalists, the scientists, the advocates, the thinkers, and the workers. It's not the show-offs and, and the bullshitters that make the world go around. And I'll just end by saying Kratom is just the tool. And we can use it to build a house or we can use it to smash things. Just like a hammer. It's a complex tool all the way down to the alkaloids and all the way up to, you know, the various results that people are getting out of it. But we want to keep our head down, do the work, learn more about Kratom. And I'll, I'll keep covering the Kratom issue. I'll be writing something probably at least once a week on my new platform about Kratom. And I would say like one out of four maybe podcasts will be uh, on the Kratom thing. So maybe about once a month will be a podcast on Kratom. Um, but I think all the all the issues are going to kind of meld together. So I really appreciate you guys that stuck with me and listened. I, uh, the past year has been sporadic. You know, as I've been transitioning to wanting to do something new. Um, But I'm going to try to keep it consistent in the future. I'm going to be working my butt off on my own platform. And I think I'll be able to expand, you know, or, you know, it's up to me, the decisions now. But, yeah, I really do appreciate it. All of you who listened and commented and had constructive criticism. And I'll just sign off. This is Brian Gallagher for the last time for Kratom Science. Take care.